We read in Galatians, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And aren't you thankful for the promise in John? It says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe on his name. And that's our prayer, is that each one of you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because the Christmas season really means nothing without Jesus. So we're thankful that you could be here today. Today, if you're visiting with us, it's an honor to have you here with us. And we would encourage you before you go, especially if you'd like to know more about the ministries here, maybe you're searching for a church home, please stop by our guest table in the lobby and get a, a guest bag. There's some information about our church there. We'd also love for you to fill out a guest card there or in your bulletin. You can tear that card out and put it in the um, plates at the back. We'd love to have a record of your visit, but right now we're going to ask everyone to stand, take just a minute to greet your neighbor, wave at them, and welcome them to the service.
thank you. As I mentioned last week, we have so many uh, of our church members either in the hospital or they've just come from come home from the hospital. But just a few names I want to mention this morning, and I've talked to the families, and they said it's okay. Uh, Larry Davis is in a, a rehab facility working on his hips. So if you will remember Larry in prayer, Rick Harrington is still at Iredale Hospital, and he has an issue with his foot, and he greatly desires your prayers. Jimmy Chapman's still at Wilkes uh, Wilkes Hospital in Wilkesboro. So if you will remember him. And Stoney Davis's mother, many of you know Linda and Carrie, she passed away. And the family will receive friends at 1.30 today at Lowdown, and then the funeral services will follow. And then our very own Rhea Childers, that's Tisha Starn's mom. Many of you know Shannon Childers, who's a paramedic. Uh, well, Rhea passed away last night, and we'll get the funeral arrangements uh, for you whenever we receive those. We'll do a palm tree. So if you will, as we pray this morning, if you will remember these folks in prayer. I know that you have people on your heart as well. You may have a lost loved one or a family member that you'd love to bring their name to the altar. You may just want to come with, with your family and just thank God for all that he's done for you. But as the choir and the praise team leads us in this song, if you will, meet me here at the altar and let's pray together this morning. Thank you. Father, we want to thank you that we can meet together and worship together, sing, sing praises to your name. Father, in just a little while, uh, hear your word preached. Lord, we want to thank you for our Sunday school hour. Lord, I want to thank you for all our teachers who teach your word. Lord, I want to thank you that we can come together as a church family and pray for our brothers and sisters. And Father, for those who need your touch physically, we pray that you would heal. Lord, we know that you can do that. Father, for those who need your touch spiritually, Lord, we pray that you would touch them as well. Father, we pray that you would encourage, convict, Lord, convert if that's needed this morning. Lord, challenge us through the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that in response to that, that we would surrender to whatever the Holy Spirit says in our lives. And Father, I pray that you'd be praised, honored, and glorified through all that's said and done. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. As they're going down, I just want to mention that next Sunday will be our Christmas cantata. It'll be at 8 or at 1030. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And I, I just want to say thank Sharon for all her work. I also want to thank our choir um, for being present at Anita Dunn's funeral. It was a blessing to hear them sing, and I know that it blessed the family. So I want to thank you all very much for that. I also want to mention that on Christmas, the Christmas Day service, it will start at 11 a.m. There'll be no Sunday school that morning. Uh, the New Year's service will be at 10.30 and no Sunday school that morning. So I just wanted to make mention of that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1 and stand with me. Last week we looked at the first 25 verses, and this week we're going to read verses 26 through 38. Last week Gabriel went to Zechariah and told him that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a baby. Uh, and then this week uh, Gabriel goes to Mary a young girl who some people think she's between 12 and 18. We don't know, okay? But she's very young, and, and she's going to tell, the angel's going to tell her she's going to have a baby and then tell her what kind of baby that she's going to have. Verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, and that means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, what in the world is going on here? All right, y'all, give, give us your attention. These kids are breaking up the service. You bring them on up here, Lisa. Come on up here. How many, how many children do you have this morning? It has about 12. Last week, they had 30, 30-some kids. Now, y'all, come on up here and stand across the stage, if you will. Aren't they cute? Just stand here so everybody can see them. Bless them, see there? See how y'all scare these kids? Hey, one, one time we had children in here like this, and I said, anybody want to say anything? And one little boy said, my mama says you talk too long. So we're not going to do that this morning. But we have about 12 children. This is our extended session group, okay? And they're in here today to let you know they need help, okay? Yeah, they need help, don't they, buddy? So they, they need 12 workers for the month. Now listen. That, that, that means about three per Sunday for the three- and four-year-olds, all right? Okay, so you will contact, Kenan said yes, you'll contact Lisa Powell, you can contact myself or Kevin over here to let them know that these children need your help. And listen, what a great ministry this is. They can be, in here, they can be out there not doing this so that you can stand up and, and study the Bible, okay? So if you're interested in helping Lisa and helping us in extended session, Please let us know after the service. Let's give these kids a big hand, okay? Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Y'all can leave now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 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 Bye. 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 I hope you have a better morning, okay, buddy? Yeah. Bye-bye. See y'all. What pretty babies. Bye-bye. So if you'd like to help them, please contact Lisa Powell. It's always been kind of a, it's not a struggle, but it's always, I think it's kind of people forget about it. But once a month, if you could do that, that would be a real blessing for our, for our families, okay? So we're going to let them move on down the aisle a little bit, and then I'll finish reading here. We'll start over in verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come, in, having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, 
highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And then notice what the Bible says, or the angel says about Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That changed everything for all of us. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his king, of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? Now she's not, she's not questioning like Zechariah. She's just asking a question. Good question. How can this be? I'm a virgin. Just proves her virginity. And the angel said, answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this was now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said this, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 38 is amazing to me. An angel appears before this young girl, and the angel basically says this, you're, you're a virgin, you're going to have a baby. And she, I think even at that time she understood what, what was going to come with that, okay? And you're going to bear a son who's going to change the world. And she says, okay, let's do it. Isn't that amazing? Now, when the Holy Spirit of God comes to you, an angel's not going to, and the Holy Spirit of God speaks to your heart, I want you to remember verse 38. Say yes to Jesus, amen? Say yes to Jesus. That, if you're a Christian today, that's my one point to you today is say yes to Jesus. God changed my life spiritually after I was saved when I finally said yes to Jesus. So whatever God's calling you to do, whether you think it's big or small, it doesn't matter. God's made you in such a unique way spiritually that only you can do what he wants you to do, whatever it is, then do it. Just say yes to Jesus. So as I preach today, and if you're a Christian, I want you to understand that if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, at the invitation, you don't have to come forward, surrender to it. And then God will fill in all the other places that need to be filled in. Amen. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we stand under your word, not over it. And Father, we trust, Lord, we know that you probably won't send an angel, but Lord, your Holy Spirit's here. And Father, your Holy Spirit can draw the lost and save. Your Holy Spirit can convict, Lord, the saved. To service. Father, I pray that our lives will bring honor and glory to your name in the context of the local church and our community by just saying yes to you. Father, I want to thank you for this young woman. I admire her. And Father, I pray that we all would be a little bit more like her. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, when, when you find out you're having a baby, it brings a tremendous amount of joy. It also can bring shock. It also can bring a lot of uh, questions and doubts. If you're a married couple, and you're especially a young married couple, one of the things that I try to explain to uh, couples before they get married, especially if they're younger, is when are you guys going to decide when you're going to have a baby, or are you just going to let nature take its... You know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Because what I, what I try to explain to young married couples, especially, is this, is that when you have a baby, it changes everything, does it not? Now listen to me, okay? 
your relationship to your spouse is going to change. It just is. Ladies, your body is going to change. Okay? Your emotions sometimes are going to change. Your finances are going to change. Okay? Your affections is going to change. You got another person. Okay? Your, your free time is gone forever. And all of God's people said, amen. It's gone forever, isn't it? And those first six to eight months are the hardest and most joyous times of your life, right? And I'll look at men and say this. You better respect your wife during this time. And, and ladies, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to speak to this in just a little while. If you married a little boy, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time. But if you've married a man, he can be your greatest asset during that time. Amen? And by all intents and purposes, purposes, it seems like Joseph was a good, good dad. But think about this. Stephen Lawson said this. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ into this world is a wellspring of pure, unmingled joy. We associate this with his crucifixion. We associate with his crucifixion much sorrowful regret and sadness. But we derive from his birth at Bethlehem nothing but delight. His birth is the grandest light of history. The sun in the heavens of all time. It is the pole star of humanity's destiny. The hinge of chronology, the meeting place of waters, the meeting place of the waters of the past and the future. Jesus was born a virgin so we might become born again. He was the son of God so that we might become children of God. And he came to earth so that we one day might be, go to heaven. And in this text today, we're going to look at four different people just like we did last week. And the first person we see here is Gabriel, God's messenger. We looked at him last week. And the Bible says that Gabriel, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now think about Gabriel, as we talked about last week. He's one of the two angels that are mentioned in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael, the archangel. And Gabriel was the person that God would send whenever he had a message to deliver. He, he delivered a message to Daniel, to Elizabeth about her baby, here to Mary, and... The, Stephen Lawson, I believe it was, or John MacArthur one, put it this way. He said, out of the millions and billions of angels, God chooses Gabriel. Now, the Bible says that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. So he's going from the very throne room of God. Okay, He's going from whatever is happening in heaven right now. Read Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 to get a sense of the beauty of heaven. And these angels being in front of God. And he says, leave here and go to Nazareth. Isn't that something? I want you to leave here, not go to Rome, not go to Egypt, not even go to Jerusalem, but to Nazareth. That's, that's smaller than Vashti, probably. Okay? And I grew up around Vashti at times, so I understand. Listen, leave the throne room of God and go to this little obscure place. Notice this map on the screen. You have Galilee, that's where Jesus, and if you, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the majority of, the, the new te of their writings is in Galilee, typically the lower part of Galilee, where you see Nazareth, you see the Sea of Galilee. The upper part of Galilee is one of the darkest places in Israel. Okay? The Romans had a garrison there. It's where a lot of people didn't want to do business there. You know, Jesus fed the 5,000, then he feeds the 4,000. In that area, up in that, that region. Okay, and they're like, why are you doing that to these Gentiles? Okay, uh, Nazareth was such a small place that whenever 
uh, the disciples said they found the Messiah, they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You're talking about Nazareth? Jesus, this Messiah is from Nazareth? This little place? It stuck with Jesus when he was on the cross. They talked about Jesus of Nazareth. Whenever Jesus rose from the dead and the people went to the tomb, they said, are you looking for Jesus of Nazareth? It stuck with him. This angel, I want you to understand, out of all the billions of angels okay, that God has created, God takes Gabriel, one of his most important angels, and sends him to Nazareth. Notice what Isaiah said 700 years earlier. In Galilee of the Gentiles, Upper Galilee, okay, which Upper Galilee we're talking about, and it really applied to Lower Galilee as well, the people who walked in darkness, that tells you their spiritual state, that's the state it was when Jesus came and Gabriel came to Mary, have seen a great light. Praise the Lord. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, notice how he describes this place, upon them a light is shine. And I say this to, to say that, I say that to say this. God will meet you in the darkest places and regions of your life. It's not too dark for God's light to shine. I want you to understand that. See, some of you are here and you're, and you're, you're probably sitting here like I was when I was 20. I would sit in church and I would say something like this to myself. If these people knew what I did this past week, just felt unclean. I did, not because of the people, but because of me. But God will meet you in that place where you are. Isaiah says there's going to come a Messiah and the Galilee of the Gentiles who walk in darkness, they're going to see a great light. This place, Nazareth, Jesus went on to describe himself this way. He says when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Think about this. Gabriel leaves the throne room of God, goes to this place, to a young teenage girl, Mary. Just an average name, just an ordinary person. Somebody that we would all overlook, right? If she was here today, probably. And, and it brought to my mind 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 30, if you'll notice it on the screen. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, Brothers and sisters... Now, when he says that, it means listen up. Think of what you were when you were called. I want you to think about that for a minute. Not just called to salvation and also called to serve. Think about what you were. I remember when I first got saved, I read that and I said, man, think about that. Think about what you were. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Some were, but not many. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God uses average people to do biblical, eternal, extraordinary things that expand the kingdom of God and bring him glory. The Bible says that in the presence of the angels, there's rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Now think about that. To God, in God's presence, that is extraordinary, that is eternal, and that is biblical. Okay? 
Whatever happens on a football field on NBC and ESPN today does not matter at all in heaven. Do you realize that? Whoever the best coach is today, does that matter eternally? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. Think about it. You teaching your class this morning matters. Those ladies walking with those kids, that matters. You just being here, being in church because God commanded us to do it, matters. This matters. Not really anything that goes on at Walmart today, and I thank God for it, I'm there every day. Really. Walmart's not in the Bible. University of North Carolina is not in the Bible. Dallas Cowboys are not in the Bible. We know the Redskins aren't, amen? They're not, okay? But think about that for a moment. And I'm, not, I'm, not trying, I'm just trying to get you to understand what you do in the context of church matters. And when God is talking about this, he's talking about people that went to work, and regardless of their occupation, whether it's made a lot of money or not, whatever, you know, whatever, if you do it to the glory of God, that matters. That matters. Listen, when you volunteer for VBS, that matters. It matters. When you sing in the choir, that matters. It does. When you do those things, it matters because you're working with the Lord. And I think what Paul's trying to show the church at Corinth, and these people were impressed by stature and status. They wanted, whether the person spoke uh, truth or not, they wanted a great speaker. It didn't matter if it was true or not. And what Paul's saying is, we're going to take a guy, and, you know, when Paul would go speak, he said, I didn't come with elo eloquency of speech. Just didn't. Just didn't. Some people think Paul had a speaking issue, you know. I thought about myself in the first grade, I had to go to speech class every, almost every day. I couldn't even say the word snake. Couldn't say it. I remember that teacher going, say snake. And I just look at her and go, she got something in her teeth right there. <laughs> but I had to do it. Couldn't speak good. Just had speaking issues, you know. Mix up words and all that. First, second, third grade. Go to speech class. Just had to go to speech class. You know, Paul. what Paul says is this. He says, God's going to take average people, just average people, like Mary, like me and like you, okay, and just do good stuff through them. Isn't that good? If you'll let him. Now, you've got to surrender to him. Notice the second thing. We see Gabriel, and then we see Mary. God's choice. I love what one scholar said. Look at verse 27. He says, The angel comes down from the presence of God, comes down to this region, and then goes to Mary. She was a virgin. Look at that, young ladies. That's, this is what the word means. Pure, fresh, untouched by human hands, one who has had no sexual relations of any kind. That's what it means. We can say the word virgin in, in, in church. The word is never used of a married woman, ever. One, one scholar put it this way, according to Roman law, the min, minimum age for girls to be engaged and married was 12. Isn't that amazing? Back then, I'm not saying she was 12, she was probably older. For boys whom we all know developed slower, it was 14. And most people think Jewish practice usually followed that way. See, she was a virgin, she was also betrothed. Betrothal was a binding legal relationship, and it was arranged by parents. It was a legal document. Parents agreed that their children would marry, and it occurred soon after puberty. One, one uh, scholar put it this way, talking about a betrothal period. There is no sexual relationships during the period of betrothal, which usually lasted a year. The couple did not live together, but only death or divorce could ever sever this contract. 
And if the man died, the betrothed girl would be considered a widow. Isn't that amazing? They weren't officially married. And during that year, the girl would prove her faithfulness by not giving herself to anyone else. She would prove her faithfulness. She would prove her purity. And during that same year, the boy would prepare a home for her, a place for her, usually with an addition to his father's house. At the end of that year, when they were 13 or 14 or maybe 15 or 16, there would be a wedding feast that usually lasted seven days when everybody came together and celebrated for seven days. The kind of thing that Jesus was at in John 2 where he turned the water into wine. It's recorded that he was at a wedding at that moment. Now think about this. She's going to marry Joseph. And even at this time, most scholars think that Joseph was a carpenter. And ladies, let me tell you something. All right, all you young girls, listen to me. Joseph had a job. He had a job. Joseph worked. Now listen to me. Joseph had a job. Now I'm going to tell you something. We have, a, we have an issue in America today where we have men who grow up blessed, praise the Lord. Your parents pay for your cell phone. May or may not pay for your car, pay for your insurance, pay for your health insurance. And then, ladies, you want to marry that guy. Now, if he can't pay for his cell phone bill, you might want to think twice. And all the mamas and daddies said, you might. If he can't, if, if, if he can't help himself with health insurance and you, you might want to reconsider postponing the marriage for just a little while. Amen? Okay. Hey, the day of my wedding, you know what my mom said? Good luck, Jamie. You're going to do great. That's the last thing my mom ever gave me. You're going to do good, son. Good. You're going to do good, right? That's it. Thanks, Mom. That's all she gave me. Okay, the only thing she gave me a card. Do good, you know? Listen to me. You better find a man that can provide for you spiritually, emotionally, respect you as a daughter of God physically, and then financially. I'm hoping you're listening. Joseph was a carpenter, a good, honorable work. All right? Listen to what one African-American pastor said. He said this from the pulpit. He said, talking to the girls, don't get involved, girls, with men who won't work. There's something deeply wrong with a man who will not earn a paycheck. I know you all know kids whose dads are lazy and who always have an excuse for why they won't get a job. But this is not normal. It's broken. If you ever meet a man who tells you he's looking for work, wait until he finds it and see how long he keeps working. Don't ever hit your wagon to a man who won't work. Avoid that like the plague. There is a brokenness to men who refuse to work that goes far beyond simply not working it shows a complete lack of self-respect for him and a man who does not respect himself will not and cannot respect you. And all of God's people said, and I'm just trying to help you. If a person's always looking for work, I can find you a job. And you can quit that job after you found another job. There's, not, there's no shame in switching jobs. But a man who's always looking for work, always making excuses, 
You better think twice about that. She was betrothed. See, there was something. you got to understand this. Mary's parents loved her. And the parents had to say so in this. They said, let's go get Joseph. Good, honorable young man. And he works. Let's go get Joseph. He's of the house of David. And the Bible says the Mary virgin's name was Mary. Now look at verse 28. Not only was she a virgin, but she's also favored. And the virgin betrothed to the man's name was Mary. Look, look at verse, to the woman was Mary. Verse 28 says, And having coming, into, coming in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. You are blessed among women. The Catholic Church changed this all the way around. That's why Catholics pray to Mary. That's why Catholics say, Mary, show us grace. Now listen to what uh, John MacArthur said. He says, basically, there's a misunderstanding of the meaning of this verse. The Roman Catholic statement says this says, Hail, comma, Mary, comma, favored one. They translate that into Hail, Mary, full of grace. The misunderstanding of this meaning of this verse by the Roman Catholic Church has spawned an incredibly blasphemous system, and it is. They pray to Mary, which is wrong. They basically worship Mary, which is idolatry. The wise men came into the house and worshipped Jesus, a little baby, and didn't even pay attention to Mary. Their system teaches that Mary is full of grace, which she bestows on others. She is the source of that grace. That's not what the angel says. Mary was not the source of grace. Mary was the recipient of grace. Hail, comma, favored one, comma. You've been favored by God. You've been given grace by God. You see, there wasn't anything worthy about her. She's just a young girl. You cannot go to Mary and receive any grace. Mary can't hear the prayers of anybody. Only God hear, hears prayers. Mary cannot hear the prayers of anyone. Neither can any other glorified saint. Mary has no grace to give. She's not the giver of grace. She's the receiver of grace. What the angel said to Mary was, is that God is going to give you grace and use you freely. She was highly graced. She was to be receiving the grace that God alone could give. The grace would come because he said it. The Lord is with you. Not because she was a person of grace. He says, blessed are you among women. And why is that? Because God is going to bless you. God is going to use you. Look at verses 30 and 31 on the screen. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, she was a godly person, but she was not sinless. She was a good, God-fearing young lady. And then he says, and behold... You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And the Bible says in verse 32, the Bible makes this statement, and, by, and he will be great. Well, let me, let, me, let me look at verse 31 again. Verse 35, I'm sorry, excuse me. The Bible says this, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Because Mary said, How can I as a virgin give birth? And then in verses 35 and 36, the, the angel says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. He's going to overshadow you. And we have two good illustrations of that in the Old Testament. The first one is in Genesis 1-2, where the Bible says the Spirit of God hoovered over, hovered over the waters. That meant that the Holy Spirit of God was part of the creative process. That's the same with Mary's womb. God, the Holy Spirit, is going to create a child in her womb. And then in the tabernacle in Exodus 40, the Bible says the glory of God filled the tabernacle, that the Holy Spirit overshadowed the tabernacle. 
And that is the same word for Mary's womb. And that sounds like a miracle. Joseph was not involved in the birth of Jesus as far as the conception. And Christianity fails without a virgin birth. Stephen Lawson said Christ's birth was so ordinary in that it was an obscure town to an obscure person, but extraordinary that it was brought about in a virgin by the Holy Spirit. And this followed Mary the rest of her life. In John 8, the Bible says that some people were questioning Jesus, and they were in an argument with Jesus about who he was. And then they said to him, they're saying to Jesus, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father, and he's God. So even when Jesus was in his 30s, they were still saying, your mama got pregnant out of wedlock. And then in Luke 2, whenever uh, they were prophesying over Mary, it says her suffering was deep, and she said a sword will pierce through your own soul. And that's because of what Jesus would become, not just because she would have to bear this burden her whole life, that she was a person who had fornicated and then gave birth to Jesus, and then Joseph married her afterwards, but also that her son was going to the cross because in John 19, 25, it says this, some of the saddest verses in the Bible, when Jesus was hanging on the cross outside the temple on Golgotha's hill, this is how John records it. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. See, God knew that Mary could bear being born uh, or being a virgin and giving birth and having to deal with all that. She understood. God understood that Mary could make the relationship with Joseph work. God understood that Mary would raise Jesus the right way. God understood that Mary would, could understand that Jesus was going to the cross eventually and die, and she could be able to handle that and be this same person throughout his life. See, that's why it says God looked at her and said, you're favored among all the women on the planet. You're blessed, and I'm going to use you. Not that Mary was sinless but that Mary was even Christ-like at that time. Notice the third thing, the baby, God in flesh. Verses 31 and 33, the Bible says this, and you shall call his name Jesus. Look at that. That means that he will save. That word means Jehovah is salvation, which means this, all other religions are wrong. Only Jesus saves. There can be no compromise with this. No other religion saves. People can believe and worship what they want. They have a right to do that, and you should respect that. They can devote their lives to it. They can give their lives to it, but they can be wrong. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin and the penalty that comes with it. We're guilty before God, and we cannot save ourselves. Our faith must be in Christ alone. There is redemption, the Bible says, through the blood of Jesus. The disciples said this, There is salvation in no other name but Christ alone. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. Jesus will save. This is what Gabriel's saying to Mary. Your son will be the only way for salvation. Not a way, but the only way. He's going to die. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It has to be his blood that is shed. Not only that, but he will be great. Notice. You shall call his name Jesus. God saves, and he will be great. He will be great. It means he will manifest glory. He will manifest the very glory of God. That is to say, you will see the attributes of God through your son, through his perfect righteous life. You will see God displayed. He'll talk like God. He'll act like God. He'll think like God. He'll be great like God. He'll be glorious. 
we're going to see God in every picture of Christ's life, God's thoughts, God's words, God's actions, God's responses, God's goodness, God's wisdom, God's omnipotence, God's omniscience. We're going to see it all revealed in this child. I remember hearing a testimony of a person who lived in another country. It was a missionary who said that he was trying to witness to this person in this other country. and The person just couldn't grasp God. So they started, he went to Jesus, and for weeks he taught him about Jesus. Just taught him about Jesus, went to the Gospels. Read letters of Jesus. Everything's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then finally, the missionary said, this, this man looked at him and said, if God is like Jesus, I want to know God. Well, God's like Jesus, and Jesus is like God. You want to know what God's like? Read the Gospels. Because Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what that word great means, and then he'll be the Son of the Most High. This means this, simply, there's no one higher. This is a title used for God, and Gabriel's using it for Jesus, which would be blasphemy if it wasn't true. This was a Jewish title for God in the Old Testament. It's where the Hebrew equivalent is El Elyon, God Most High. It's a name that refers to God's sovereignty. No one is higher, no one is more exalted, no one is more powerful, no one is as sovereign as God the Most High. God the Most High in the Old Testament was said to have controlled nations. Deuteronomy 32.8 says the Most High divided the nations their inheritance. Four times in Daniel's prophecy, he says the Most High rules in the earth and gives the kingdoms of men to whomever he will. You do believe that, don't you? When it comes to nature, it says the Most High controls the weather, causes it to rain or causes famine, causes the sun to shine, he causes storms to calm. Over the unrighteous, the Bible says this, sing praises to the Most High for the reason that He is sovereign over the unrighteous. Then one scholar says the term Most High sums up all the elements of the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign in every dimension possible, sovereign over nations, over nature, over the unrighteous, over the righteous, over the people He has redeemed, and sovereign over all that is evil and all that is good. That is to say, He is the Most High. There is none as high as He is. He is God above any other gods. And then verse 33 talks about his reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. All kingdoms die, but his will not. All kingdoms come to an end. Egypt did, Rome's did. All the kingdoms of the past have come to an end, but Jesus' kingdom will not. All the kings died and are buried, and their reign ended, but Jesus was buried and rose from the dead, and his will not. And then the final thing is this, the, the last thing I see here is you, God's will for your life. In verse 38, when Gabriel said all these things to Mary, Mary had a choice in the matter, and then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Are you at that point in your life? Now let's be honest this morning. Are you at that point in your life where if the Holy Spirit of God came to you, and whatever the Holy Spirit of God told you to do, you'd say, let it be to me according to your word. Zechariah basically said it couldn't happen, and he was mute for nine months, right? In the first part of Luke. When God called me into the ministry, it took me six months to a year to surrender to it. And Mary said, let's do it. I surrender to it. Let it be to me according to your word, like that. Are you at that point in your life? Where if God, the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about me, but the Holy Spirit of God. See, I was sitting in a service like this every time God called me in the ministry. Just like that. Just like this. And I'd be like, 
I wonder if everybody else is going through what I'm going through. They weren't. They weren't. I wonder if, hey, when I was lost, listen to me if you're here today and you're lost. I would sit in a service like this and I'd look around going, is everybody in here feeling what I'm feeling? Are you sensing what I'm sensing? And it was like God was doing this. Come to me. That's the way it was with me. Come to me. And I remember sitting there going, I am lost. I am lost. And I wish the first time God dealt with my heart, I said yes to Jesus. I wish I would have. I've never met a person that said, I'm glad I waited six months to get saved. Have you? Never. Well, I wish I would have surrendered the first time God dealt with my heart. And see, that's where you're at today. And what you have to do is make a decision. Are you going to be like Mary in verse 38? Or are you going to be like Zechariah in the first 25 verses? That choice is yours. I want you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed. As our musicians come, we're not going to give a long invitation. But as they come, I want to say this to you. Jesus will meet you in the dark places of your life. Christian, listen to this. I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't know. God knows and he loves you anyway. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. He's talking to the church of all unrighteousness. So if you're a Christian here today and you feel like you failed God, God will meet you in that dark place of your life and he will help you. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you said, I just don't know if God can forgive me. He can forgive you. Living proof of that. Look to your right or left. Living proof of that. God will meet you in the darkest places of your life. God is sovereign over all things and his reign will never end. I remember hearing about a man, he, his wife had, was facing brain surgery. Now listen to what he says. This is, this is his testimony. He said, I'm educated. I'm intelligent according to some. He says, but I'm a Christian. He said, but when they wheeled my wife back, to cut open her skull and operate on her brain. He said, buddy, my faith became childlike then. Maybe that's where you're at. I want to tell you something. I don't know what you're facing. God is sovereign. He's the most high. And it's good to be on his team. And then the final thing is this. Do you know him today? Do you know him? After I pray, Sharon's going to lead us in a song. And if you need to come to this altar, it's open. If not, I would encourage you to do business with God where you are. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that you use just the average ordinary people in ordinary places to do extraordinary things. Lord, I'm thankful that you come to the darkest recesses of our life and you bring light and hope and peace and forgiveness. And Father, I'm so thankful that you're sovereign. Lord, I visited so many people in the hospitals the last couple weeks in hospice homes. And Lord, I would leave thanking you because you're sovereign and your ways are right. Whether I understand it or not, it does not matter, but you are sovereign. And I'm thankful, Lord, that your kingdom will never end. And Father, I pray that Christians today would surrender to your will for their lives. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here today lost, that they would surrender today their lives to you and be gloriously born again. Father, this is your time and these are your people. And I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning.
thank everyone for being here today. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and would like to talk to me, I'll be here after the service. Say yes to Jesus, amen. He loves you more than anybody. He knows your potential better than anybody. And trust Him with your life today. God bless you. You're dismissed. And hope to see many of you back here tonight at 5 p.m. Thank you.